Let me just add my welcome. So great to have all of you out to join us this Easter morning as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And if you happen to be new or visiting, whether you're watching online or here in person, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors on the team here at Grace. And uh, today for the message, we're going to be sort of camping out in John chapter 11, looking at a number of different verses in that chapter. And the title for the message today is Raised to New Life. Well, a number of years ago, there was an eight-year-old boy named Philip who was born with Down syndrome. And he attended a third-grade Sunday school class with several other eight-year-old boys and girls, and somewhat typical of that age, The other children didn't always easily accept Philip and some of the differences that he had. And the teacher tried to do her best to include Philip in the different activities that the class would do. And on the Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought legs pantyhose containers, the kind that looked like large eggs to class. Some of you are probably old enough to remember those. Uh, They're back in the 80s. They came in these actual eggs. And so each student received one, and they were told to go outside on that spring day, find some symbol for new life, and put it in the egg-like container. And back in the classroom, they would share their new life symbols, opening the containers one by one in surprise fashion. So after running about the church property in wild confusion, probably similar to yesterday, The students returned to the classroom and placed their containers on the table. And surrounded by the children, the teacher began to open them one by one. And after each one, whether there was a flower, a butterfly, or a leaf, the class would ooh and ah. And then one was opened, revealing nothing inside. And the children exclaimed, that's stupid. That's not fair. Somebody didn't do their assignment. And Philip spoke up, that's mine. Philip, you don't ever do things right, the student retorted. There's nothing there. I did so do it, Philip insisted. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb was empty. Silence fell over the class. And from that day on, Philip became a fully accepted member of that class. Whatever differences he had were never mentioned again. And Philip died not long afterward from an infection that most children would have been able to easily recover from. And at his funeral, this class of eight-year-olds marched up to the altar not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, and each one laid an empty pantyhose egg on the altar. You know, Easter Sunday is the day we gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the basic meaning of the resurrection is so simple that an eight-year-old boy like Philip can grasp and understand it clearly. See, Philip understood that the resurrection is a statement about new life. And while the resurrection may be simple to understand, 
What may not be quite as clear is how is the resurrection of Jesus Christ relevant to each one of our lives? I mean, how does it proclaim hope and new life to us? I mean, what exactly is it that we come to celebrate on Easter Sunday? And so this morning, I want to try to answer that question by taking us to another account of someone who was raised from the dead. The story of a man named Lazarus that is in John chapter 11. And the raising of Lazarus from the dead would be without question the single most famous miracle that Jesus ever did. And many would say it was his most amazing miracle as well. But I think the story of Lazarus can help us see why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is of vital importance to every one of us. And so this morning, we want to just consider two points from the story of Lazarus that we find in John chapter 11. We want to take a little time and look at the miracle itself, and then we want to look at the meaning of the miracle as well. So before we dig into that chapter, let's take a moment and pray. Lord, as we gather here on this Easter Sunday where we declare your resurrection from the dead, Lord, this is about much more than just you being raised. It's what you accomplished through being raised. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just, in the grace and power of your spirit, come and be present with us this morning, that we might see with greater clarity and a deeper understanding and appreciation for, Lord, what you have done for us through your death and resurrection. And so, Lord, help me to speak your truth and your word clearly and plainly and concisely and accurately. And Lord, give each of us your grace here that we might benefit from what you want to speak through this story this morning. And we ask you to do this now for your glory and the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin by talking a little bit about this miracle that Jesus did. So let me give you a little context for what's going on as we come to John 11. In the beginning of John 11, we are introduced to Lazarus and his family. It was Lazarus and he had two sisters who were Martha and Mary. And they lived in a small village called Bethany, which was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. And John makes a point in the early part of this chapter to tell us just how much Jesus cared about this family. He had a special relationship with this family. They were extremely dear to him. There was a very unique bond that existed between Jesus and this family. And so Lazarus becomes gravely ill. And Mary and Martha, they are fully aware that Jesus has healed countless numbers of people who have been sick or had diseases. And and so they send word to Jesus in hopes that he might come and be able to heal Lazarus from this sickness. 
And when Jesus receives the word that Lazarus is sick, is sick, he waits two days before he leaves to go and visit and see them. And during that two-day interim, Lazarus dies. And so when Jesus gets there, it is four days after Lazarus is dead. He has been buried in the tomb for four days. It was very typical that if you died in that culture, you were typically buried that same day because deterioration began to take place quickly. And so Jesus comes and Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days and Mary or Martha comes out to to greet him and and she and her sister are there understandably heartbroken and grieving about the loss of their brother. And others, family, friends have come and joined them in their mourning as well as people from Jerusalem that they know or were related to have come as well. And there is a really a large number of people now that are there present to join them in their mourning. And the typical pattern in that culture was mourning would last up to seven days. And so they are gathered and they are weeping and crying. And, and so Jesus comes on the scene and he sees all that's going on and says he is deeply moved by what's going on. And so he tells them, he says, you know, take me to the tomb where he's laid. And so they begin to go to the tomb and all the other mourners, they see them heading and so they join them and so the whole crowd begins to go to the tomb where Lazarus is. And so let's pick up the story in verses 38 through 44 in John 11. It says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. And I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. We don't want to rush too quickly over what is being described here. Because what is taking place in this moment is almost impossible to comprehend. As Jesus comes to the tomb and there are crowds of people around and they are weeping and wailing loudly. And so when he comes to the tomb, he says, take away the stone. And when he says this, everyone stops dead in their tracks. You see, it's been four days since Lazarus died. 
And this is significant because the Jewish belief in that time was that when you died, your soul stayed and hovered around your body for three days in hopes that it might be able to return and life could continue. But after three days, the soul departed and death was final. Because decomposition has begun to take place four days into this situation. And it's, it's probably really challenging for us to understand what that would mean. I mean, maybe, maybe we get a little picture of it. Like if, you, if you've ever kind of been driving on a road that you travel regularly, and maybe you're driving one day and, and you see a deer that's been hit by a car and it's lying on the side of the road dead, and maybe nobody comes and removes it. And as you kind of travel down that road over the next three few days, you, you kind of glance at that deer. And if you're on that road four days later, that deer is inflated like a balloon. I mean, its legs are stiff and straight out. Because you see, when death occurs, the bacteria that normally digest our food it turns on the body and begins to digest and consume the internal organs. And decomposition and rot begins to take place from the inside out of that creature. And that's what's going on with Lazarus. His body is decomposing from the inside out and it is beginning to smell and rot. And Martha is fully aware of this reality. That's why in verse 39 she says, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. See, there would be a stench coming from the body by this time. But Jesus insists that they remove the stone, so they do. And so Jesus Praise to the Father in this moment, but this prayer is not a request that he makes. The events that are about to unfold have already been determined between the Father and the Son. And so Jesus simply thanks God for hearing his previous prayers. And he wants the people to know that what he is about to do is only possible because of his unique relationship with the Father. He wants them to understand that what he's about to do reveals something about who he is. And then he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! I mean, can you envision being there in the crowd at that moment? I mean, Jesus calls out and there is absolute silence. The weeping stops. Every eye is fixed on the mouth of that cave. The seconds tick by. And you start to think, this Jesus, he's, he's not in his right mind. And just when you're about to write him off as a fool, you hear sounds coming from the cave. I mean, this can't possibly be. And as you watch in stunned disbelief, a figure appears at the mouth of the cave and he is stumbling and falling as he appears in the cave mouth because he's wrapped in strips of grave cloth from head to toe. 
And everyone is staring incredulously at what is going on before their eyes. People are so stunned that no one even moves to try to help him. And finally, Jesus intervenes and tells them to unbind him and let him go. I mean, nothing like this has ever happened before. I mean, who is this Jesus that can raise a dead, decomposing corpse back to life? And dozens of people witness this miraculous event with their very own eyes. And word spreads like wildfire. It spreads not only through the surrounding area, but back into the city of Jerusalem. And it is this miracle that will, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem in a few days, bring out the crowds of people who will be shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it is this miracle that will seal his death. Because when the Pharisees and the religious leaders see how the people are responding because of this miracle, they are determined to kill him and begin to make plans to decide how to do that. I mean, this is truly an incredible miracle. But what is this miracle all about? I mean, is this just Jesus out of compassion for a dear friend and his family bringing Lazarus back to life? Or maybe Jesus performs this miracle just to show everyone that that he truly is the divine son of God simply by having this kind of power. Or is there something even more that's being communicated through this particular event. Well, there is something very specific that God wants us to see and know through this miracle. And we begin to get a little clue in John 11, verse 4, when Jesus hears about Lazarus being sick. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John said this miracle is so that God and his son may be glorified in some way. And whenever John speaks of the glory of God or God being glorified or Jesus being glorified, he's almost always speaking about something that God or Jesus is going to reveal about themselves. Something God is going to show about who he is or who Jesus is. And right after that, right after he says that, in verses 5 and 6, it says this. It says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, think about it. If If you had a best friend or a family member that you cared deeply about and you know that they were gravely ill and you could help them, maybe you had medicine or something or you could do something to help them, would you wait two days before you would 
leave to go and see it? Probably not. You would right away go, but Jesus waits two days. And what's, what's even more fascinating is if we look at this verse carefully, it says, but now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. You see what John does there? He literally connects Jesus delaying two days with his love for this family. In other words, what he's saying is it's Jesus' love for this family that is why he's waiting two days to go. This is his love being shown, being manifested, and so he waits two days. I mean, what is it that God wants us to see and know through this miracle, that it would be so important that it would cause Jesus to do that. Well, that brings us to the second thing we want to look at, and that's the meaning of the miracle. Because I think we find the answer to that question in verses 17 through 26 of this chapter. So let's begin by looking at verses 17 through 24. It says, now when Jesus came, he's just getting to Bethany now, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha grieving goes out to meet Jesus as he approaches and when she sees him. And you can just imagine how she's feeling because in her heart she knows, Jesus, if you, had, if you had just been here, if you had been here, he'd be alive. And so she's wrestling with this and so she comes to Jesus and she just breaks down and that's what she says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And then she says in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And this might seem like she's hoping that he will do something like raise him from the dead even now. But I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because if you remember in verse 39, when Jesus said, take away the stone. She's the one who steps out and says, Lord, no, by this time, there's going to be an odor. So she's not seeming to anticipate that he's going to do anything like raise him from the dead. And I think what she's doing here, she's just kind of saying that, Lord, I know you you could have saved him if you were here, but even though you didn't, I still have confidence and know that you have a special relationship with God. I think that's what she's doing. And so Jesus says to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. 
And you know, this, this is just one of those statements that is so classic of Jesus, where he can, he can say something, and it can mean multiple different things. And so when he says, your brother will rise again, he might be implying what he's about to do. But at the same time, this is, this is the kind of thing you would say to someone at a, at a funeral or someone who's grieving the loss of a loved one. Your brother will rise again. You know, it's kind of like if you went to the funeral of someone who was a believer and you were talking to uh, some of the family members and you would say to them, you know, I know it's hard to go through this, but one day you'll see him again in heaven. It could be, it's that kind of thing, right? And that's exactly the way Martha takes it. Because she responds, you know, by affirming her belief in a resurrection of the dead that will take place on the last day. But there is much more going on here than just an affirmation that the dead will one day be resurrected. See, Jesus wants them to know something about who he is that is far more important than that. And verses 25 and 26 are the real key to what this miraculous event is all about. So let's look at verses 25 and 26. It says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I mean, this is an astounding claim that Jesus is making. Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. I mean, this isn't a statement that he will be resurrected himself at some later point, although that would be true. It's not even a statement that he's the one who will raise the dead, a claim that he has made at other times, like in John 5.21, where Jesus said, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Now, this goes even further. Jesus is saying that he is the resurrection and the life. He he is the eternal divine source of all life. He is literally the eternal life of God wrapped in a human body. And all life comes from him and is found in him. And I was, I just, I was trying to think of some analogy to picture this. I just can't come up with one. I mean, I thought about, you know, the sun and this, it's like the sun saying, I am heat and light, but that doesn't quite work because there's heat and light that comes from other places than the sun, but there is no life that comes from any other place than Jesus. All life is in him and from him. I mean, that's the reason why he can give life to whoever he wills, like he said in John 5.21, because he is the source of all life. I mean, if, if, if you get that, I mean, how, how could anyone ever think that death could possibly hold him in the grave? 
I mean, he is, he is life itself. And his life is the source of the bodily resurrection of God's people that will one day take place. And this life is not just physical life, but the spiritual and eternal life of God. I mean, this is eternal life in a new physical resurrection body. He is the resurrection and the life. Resurrection and eternal life are only found in him. Outside of him, there is no resurrection that leads to eternal life. And to participate in this resurrection and eternal life, we must somehow come to share in him as the resurrection and the life. And we can only do that by faith, by trusting in him and who he is, so that by faith we share in his resurrection and eternal life. And Jesus explains this in the two statements that follow. Concerning resurrection, he says in verse 25, Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. See, by believing in him as God's son, the divine savior who alone possesses eternal resurrection life, even though we may physically die, the day will come when we will physically live again. He will raise to resurrection life all who believe and trust in him. And concerning life, he says in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, everyone who lives isn't talking about natural, physical life. It would be obvious that you have to be physically alive to believe in Jesus. I mean, dead people don't have the capacity to believe in anything. But he's saying something else in this statement. He who lives is speaking about spiritual life. It's saving life. It's eternal life. It might be better understood. Everyone who has spiritual life and believes in me will never die. And the language in this little statement, it it is in a way that it really connects believing in him and spiritual life together. It's like they're two sides of the same coin. They can't be separated. In other words, it's believing in him that produces spiritual life, and spiritual life can't happen without believing in him. They are two sides of the same coin. Believing in him is how we position ourselves and the result of that is the interchange of spiritual life that happens through that. Because you see, e eternal life is something that we have at the point we put our faith and trust in Christ. It's not something we're waiting for one day. We have eternal life the moment we trust genuinely in Christ because we share in the eternal life of Jesus Christ from the moment we believe because we share in his eternal life by faith in him. And those who have that eternal life through trusting in Christ, they will never die. 
they will forever live sharing in Jesus' eternal life. See, resurrection life is only found in Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus wants us to see in this miracle of raising Lazarus. That's what this is all about. That's the big idea of what God wants us to get from this miracle, that resurrection life is only found in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And there is no resurrection to eternal life apart from sharing in his resurrection by faith. So when Martha says that she knows that her brother Lazarus will rise again on the last day and she affirms her belief in a resurrection that will one day take place, Jesus redirects her in that moment to himself. He says, no, Martha, you're missing the point. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he is about to demonstrate the truth of this for all to see by doing what is simply not possible. By raising Lazarus from the dead. I mean, maybe we could get it if Lazarus had just died. But four days? Decomposing? There's no way possible life should be able to come back. And so after saying this in verses 25 and 26, he asked Martha one simple question at the end of verse 26. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? You see, that is the question that this miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead presents to each one of us here this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that resurrection life is only found in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in him to be your only hope for your resurrection and eternal life. See, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all that he did in his perfect life and in his death on the cross and in his resurrection becomes ours. And through our faith, God places us in Jesus and joins us together with him. And when he died on that cross, it was our sins he died to pay for. And when he rose from the dead on that first Easter morning, his resurrection from the dead became our guarantee of resurrection and eternal life. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith 
for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you put your faith in him, in the genuineness of your heart, then through the resurrection of Jesus, you are born again to a living hope and an inheritance that will never fade, never perish, never get dimmer, that will always be there, that is kept in heaven for you. It's just waiting for the fulfillment of God's time when all of it comes in the fullness of what his plan fulfills. See, resurrection life is only found in Jesus Christ. And so the question that we too must consider is, do you believe this? And in verse 27, we see Martha's response to that question. So she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. And she declares her personal trust and faith in Jesus as the Messiah, the one who the Old Testament said was coming into the world, God's Savior. If I could have the worship team come. So what would your response to that question be this morning? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came into the world to save fallen, lost people from the power of sin and death? Have you turned from whatever else you may be trusting in that you think will make you right with God or secure your place in eternity some way? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone to save you? see, there is no other way to have eternal resurrection life except through him. And raising Lazarus from the dead was Jesus demonstrating the truth that he is the resurrection and the life. That he has the power to overcome death and give life even to a decomposing corpse that would seem beyond all hope of any life ever being present again. You see, there is no one who is beyond his power to give eternal life to if you will put your hope and trust in him. And he wants us to see and know that he is the resurrection and the life. You know, Jesus loved this family in John chapter 11. He loved them dearly. But in his love for them, he was willing to let Lazarus die and to have them go through this time of grief and sorrow because he knew it was far more important for them to know and believe this, that his claim to be the resurrection and the life is true and that resurrection life is only found in him. And in his love for each of you, whether you're here or listening in online this morning, I mean, there is nothing more important 
then he would want you to know and believe today as well. You see, this is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ has incredible importance and relevance to every one of us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and the raising of Lazarus from dead, they really both tell us the same thing. That Jesus is the source and giver of resurrection life. He is the resurrection and the life. And resurrection life is only found in him. And so as we gather to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on this Easter Sunday, we really come not just to celebrate his resurrection, but if we trust in him as our Lord and Savior, we come to celebrate our resurrection and eternal life as well. Resurrection life is only found in Jesus Christ. And for those who will put their hope and their faith in him, his resurrection is the guarantee that ours is sure to come. So let's close by standing together and singing as we just proclaim these incredible truths.